Welcome to My American Melting Pot, the podcast for people living multicultural lives. I'm your host, Lori L. Tharps. I'm a Black woman married to a Spanish man raising three bilingual, biracial, bicultural children. I'm also a journalist, an author, and an anti-racism educator and consultant. Some people call me a cultural critic or a pop culture pundit. I call myself a diversity diva. And I'm really glad you're here for the Don't Be Racist series on the My American Melting Pot podcast. This is episode 51 of the podcast, but it's our third lesson in the Don't Be Racist series. Last week, we spoke about taking action. This week, we're going to work on decolonizing our minds. Yes, it's really hard to be a true anti-racism warrior without decolonizing and unlearning many of the untruths we've been taught our whole lives. So for today's episode, I'm going to share how and why decolonizing your mind is a must. But before we get to the lesson, I want to take a minute to give everyone listening a little pep talk. Hello, anti-racism warriors in training. I am so proud of you for showing up and doing the work. You are doing the work, aren't you? I know. I know it's hard, and I know you may be weary considering all of the other work you're being asked to do just to stay healthy and sane during a global pandemic. So congratulations and thank you for stepping up to take on the most urgent issue of dismantling white supremacy and eradicating racism in the United States and beyond. This is a big job and you said yes. Now, I know sometimes you might feel like giving up or like whatever little thing you do manage to do isn't going to make a difference. I want you to stop that thinking right now. I want you to actually turn that type of thinking upside down, backwards, and inside out. I want you to make a commitment to yourself and to me and to the world that you are not going to give up being an anti-racist activist. I want you to commit to doing anti-racism work just like you commit to painful, unpleasant things like paying your taxes every year. Nobody likes paying taxes. But you do it anyway because you fear the consequences, like getting audited or having to pay a penalty or even the idea of missing out on a refund. Doing anti-racism work might not feel like a big old bushel of fun right now, but you have to commit because it's necessary. Just like paying taxes, it's necessary to do anti-racism work if we want to live in a society that is safe, prosperous, and just. And when your mind starts straying into that, my little efforts aren't going to make a difference, I want you to think not about what your little efforts are going to do, but what harm happens when you don't make any effort. People have stood back and done nothing for too long when all it would have taken is one little action by one person. Just one person stepping forward could have saved George Floyd's life just one person. So don't think that your contribution won't make a difference. Commit to being a full-time anti-racist warrior. And remember that not doing anything is way worse than doing even a little something. Okay, pep talk is over. Let's start talking about decolonizing your minds. All right. 
class is officially in session. Raise your hand if you know the answer. Who was the first Black African to arrive to the Americas and when was that? If your answer is someone from present-day Angola and the year you're thinking is 1619, put your hand down. The answer to my question is a man by the name of Juan Garrido. Juan Garrido, which is his assumed name, but probably not his given name when he was born, was born in West Africa, but he came to Portugal for his education and then joined the Spanish when they decided to cross the oceans and search for gold and riches in the Americas and the Caribbean. So, yes, you can say Juan Garrido was a Black conquistador. He, like many other Spaniards, looked for wealth and fame in the Americas and fought alongside the Spanish against the natives who were there, got riches, lost some of his riches, and eventually died in Florida in 1521 after suffering an arrow wound in battle. But he arrived in the Americas in 1503, predating the 1619 arrival of the 12 Angolans that are the people who we all think about after reading the 1619 Project or thinking about as the first enslaved Africans brought to this country. And I know it may come as a surprise to many people, particularly if you did devour the 1619 Project, but there were many Black Africans in the United States, specifically in Florida, with the Spanish a full 100 years before the British brought any African people to their colonies. And some were conquistadors, some were brought over as slaves with the Spanish, but were immediately freed upon arrival into Florida, where the Spanish set up their colony in St. Augustine, Florida. There were many Africans, many Black explorers, again, conquistadors, I guess, working people, if you will. And the reason I'm starting this lesson here is because I want to emphasize that America's history has been written from the perspective of the winners. It has been written from the perspective of the British, of English-speaking people, of white people, and particularly from the perspective of white men. And more importantly, it was written with a very specific agenda of maintaining the false narrative of white supremacy. And as such, most of us, people of color included, have a very screwed up understanding of American and global history. We don't really know the truth. We know the truth as it has been presented by white men. And most importantly, why this is so dangerous is because our history begins with the British. We essentially don't know anything about the life of people of color before their arrival to this land, or in the case of Natives people, before the British came here and started massacring them. On a personal note, growing up, I always had such a sense of despair and low self-esteem about my heritage because the only thing I believed about my ancestors was that they were slaves. I literally thought I was a descendant of slaves. I didn't realize that the people that I came from came from advanced civilizations and cultures in Africa. I heard a quote once that said the most detrimental thing you can do to a people is start their story at chapter two. 
instead of chapter one. And that's what I believe as a black person in America who grew up believing that my ancestors started in slavery is because that's chapter two instead of chapter one. That is a horrible way for a child of color to grow up, to believe that their story only starts in enslavement or in the massacre of their people or when they arrive to build the railroads. But it's also a horrible way for white people to conceptualize blackness or Latinidad or Asianness. I don't really think Asianness is a word, but you know what I mean, right? It's especially bad for white people and all of the rest of us, too, to conceptualize Native Americans from the perspective of white colonists who continually portrayed Native Americans as a problem to be solved, never as human beings with distinct languages and cultures and civilizations that were thriving before the arrival of Europeans. So obviously I cannot decolonize your minds in 10 minutes on a podcast. I wish I could. Wouldn't that be amazing? Just bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, you're decolonized? No, but I can give you seven decolonized truth nuggets that you can incorporate into your daily anti-racist mantras and thinking. And by keeping these truth nuggets top of mind, it's almost impossible not to be compelled to take action to right the wrongs of our forefathers, to give credit to the people who have for too long been overlooked, and to see people of color as your equal instead of a group of people who need pity or saving. So here are these seven truth nuggets that will help you begin to decolonize your mind. Number one, we in the United States and the Americas are standing on stolen land. Like, really think about that. Our houses, our churches, our favorite McDonald's, everything is sitting on land that was violently stolen from its original owners. The blood of Native American men, women, and children is in the soil underneath everything we hold sacred. And I don't know if there are enough reparations to make up for that debt. Two, Black people in the Americas who were captured in Africa and sold into slavery came from advanced civilized societies with intact families, advanced education and agricultural systems, distinct languages and cultures. They were not running around the wild, just waiting for some Europeans to take them to a more civilized society. And speaking of civilization, number three, ancient civilization did not start in Europe. It started in the Middle East and Africa. Ponder that for a moment as we talk about the classics and we talk about Greek and Roman languages and cultures and we talk about civilized societies to study. Ancient civilizations did not start in Europe. Number four, the United States is not the center of the world, nor is Europe, despite how many maps seem to suggest otherwise in the way they portray the globe, the earth, okay? Number five, if black-on-black crime is a thing, then white-on-white crime is also a thing. Statistics show clearly that crime is most often committed by someone of the same race. And in reality, rates of white-on-white and black-on-black homicides are similar and remain within 10 percentage points of each other, around 80 and 90% respectively. This numbers are according to a recent article in USA Today. So if you want to talk about black-on-black crime, you also have to speak on -on white-on-white crime or don't speak on either one because it's basically redundant to say such a thing. Number six, 
Spanish people were here first in what we now refer to as the United States. They were here before the British. And half of this country was Spanish-speaking and culturally Spanish or Hispanic before it was taken over by English speakers. Think about that every time we talk about immigration and who belongs here. And number seven, the myth of the Thanksgiving holiday that suggests Native Americans and pilgrims sat down together to share a meal is a dangerous myth that completely erases the true contributions of Native American people to European survival and ignores the atrocities heaped upon Native people by Europeans. Also, Thanksgiving was never intended to be a celebration of Native and European togetherness. It was intended to be a national holiday that celebrated peacetime after war, following the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. Honestly, the idea that we are celebrating Native and European goodwill is seriously dangerous and it is hypocritical and dishonest. The only thing we should be preserving about the Thanksgiving holiday is the idea that there could be peace and goodwill amongst all of this country's citizens and residents. So these are my seven decolonized truth bombs to get you started. But if you remember these truth bombs as you carry out your anti-racism work, I guarantee you'll be more motivated. You will see the reason why this work has to be done. It's not about being nice or sharing the wealth. It's about righting the wrongs that continue to support white men and oppressed women and people of color. Not because we are weaker, not because they are smarter, but because they lied, stole, cheated, and killed to get where they are today. And we all drank the Kool-Aid as they hid the truth from us. Well, not anymore, Satan. We must decolonize our minds, all of us. Okay, that's the lesson. Let's recap. One. Stay committed to the work. If you can pay your taxes, you can be an anti-racism warrior. It might not feel like fun all the time, but you don't want the negative consequences and you just might get an anti-racism refund. Two, decolonizing your mind will help you stay motivated to do the work. Once you know the truth about how America got to be this way and all of the untruths you swallowed, it's hard not to want to fix things. And number three, Decolonizing your mind is an ongoing process. Opening up to the idea that you need to unlearn and relearn is the first step. Keep educating yourself with resources that are not written by the so-called winners. I'll leave some ideas for you to peruse in the show notes on the blog at myamericanmeltingpot.com. All right, anti-racism warriors, class is over. for listening, everyone. Once again, I appreciate you for being here and taking the time to do this work. Give yourself that pat on the back for just showing up. Don't forget, I'd love to hear how these lessons are working for you. Feel free to leave me a message on the show notes page on the My American Melting Pot blog, and that's at myamericanmeltingpot.com. Or you can just leave me a comment on Instagram or Twitter. I'm easy to find on Instagram at Lori L. Tharps and on Twitter at Lori Tharps. Now, if you are already leaving me a note on my blog or on Instagram or Twitter, it shouldn't take you too long to also maybe take a moment to leave a rating or review for the show on Apple Podcasts. And if it's not on Apple Podcasts, it can be wherever you listen to podcasts. Point is that the more reviews we have, the more people will find the show, which means the more people will find out how not to be racist. And we all want that, right? Of course we do. So please leave me a rating or review. 
thanks so much. Now, the last thing, I'm recording this episode on October 6th. That means there are officially 28 days until election day. I am begging you, anti-racism warriors, please take this election seriously. Please cast your vote for Joe Biden and for the Democratic senators in your state. After watching the first presidential debate, if you could even call it that, it is even more glaringly obvious, as if anybody needed more evidence, that Donald Trump is a racist narcissist who is perfectly happy to court white supremacists if it will help him win an election. Please do your part to vote him out of office. This really matters. Tell your friends to vote. Drive your elderly neighbors to the polls, to the post office, to the drop-off centers, and by all means, take your 18-year-olds to vote as well. This is the most anti-racist thing you can do right now. Thank you. My American Melting Pot is produced by me, Lori L. Tharps. Our editor and technical director is Brad Linder. Our theme music was composed by Sumi Tanoka. Thanks for listening. And always remember to live your life in color. Also, vote, 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 vote. Bye.